0: I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October, called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us, in Bloom in Tulum. Go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum t-u-l-u-m bloomandtulum.com for all the details and complete your application you're listening to the mindful mama podcast episode number 257. today you're going to hear the best of the mindful mama podcast from 2020. welcome to the mindful mama podcast now with over a million downloads Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Field's Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. All right, we did it. We did it, dear listener. If you are listening to this, you have practically made it through 2020, one of the most difficult years we have ever, ever been through and yeah this has like been a crazy crazy year and there's no two ways about that but you know here on the podcast it has been like such a great opportunity for me to be able to like find amazing guests and to share some things hopefully we'll have grounded us and helped us to be more mindful, more peaceful, all of those things in 2020. So thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so grateful for you, dear listener. I mean, it's just, yeah, I'm so glad we get to have this connection throughout this challenging year. And In just a moment, I'm going to be sharing with you the top five podcasts of 2020, and we're going to give you bits of each of those, which is so cool. We've never done this before, so we're kind of excited to share this, this one with you. Before we dive into this, I have to let you know, I didn't even know this. It's so funny. I didn't even know this until somebody posted on Instagram. You know who you are. You posted on Instagram. You're screenshot of the audiobook of Raising Good Humans. So Raising Good Humans is out in audiobook, and I think it's been out in audiobook for a while now. And I'm so glad to finally be able to tell you because obviously you are a listener to audio, and so maybe you want to hear Raising Good Humans in audiobook. It is read by someone else, not by me, which is hence why I didn't know it was out on audiobook. But yeah, you can find it everywhere. Audiobooks are sold. Raising Good Humans is out on audiobook. Yay! So if you haven't listened yet, now's your chance. It's all on audiobook. (laughs) So that's my that's my announcement for today. I'm excited to kind of take us back into 2020, the best of. We had some amazing episodes and we are going to be presenting them to you in reverse order from number five to number one. And So maybe you'll be able to guess what number one is, maybe you won't. I don't know if you're a big time listener, I don't know. So we'll see. But first, I'm really happy to present to you the number five top podcast from 2020 of the Mindful Mama podcast is the episode number 223 on-air coaching episode on how to handle not listening. So you're gonna hear me talk to Kaylin about what is the best way to respond when your child won't listen to you. And hers is specifically that basic request that we're asking all the time, like clean up the toys. What do you do? What do you do when your child won't clean up the toys? So you're gonna hear most of the answer to that. (laughs) It's a little bit longer in that episode. You can find, of course, the full episode at episode number 223, but here we go. Let's dive into number five, how to handle not listening.
1: I have different expectations for my older daughter versus my younger daughter. And so I sort of talking to Leona, like, hey, you got to pick up your toys. Like, it's time for, I think it was time for lunch. And like, okay, let's clean up everything that we sort of messed up in the morning. And I'm getting lunch ready. And then we'll sort of meet at the table and have lunch together. And she's just not having it, you know, just dragging her feet, still sitting on the couch. Like, mom, well, why don't you pick them up? Sort of like a little bit of like, mild back talk Mm -hmm. and and that's when I would tip to the place of being like all right well if you're not taking care of your toys then I'm going to get rid of your toys (laughs) because I don't want to see them lying around I'm not enjoying them and you don't seem to want to take care of them and so it becomes I I get to like that snotty place
0: (laughs) with her (laughs) okay child that's the yeah. way you want That's the yeah. way we're gonna have it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So cleaning up. And so how do you ask her to clean up? How do you indicate that it's time to clean up?
1: It would normally just be like, hey Leona, can you pick up your toys? Great.
0: Okay, that's great. So that's that's pretty like neutral asking. That's wonderful. And it's normal. Like we always pick up your toys before then. So that's great yeah. because um can you pick up your toys is 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 good. It's better than pick up your toys. Um, Just want to put that out there because we often like we use the language of orders and commands with our kids. It's very natural, very normal. It's totally in the zeitgeist. We all do it. But if you think about it, if your husband said to you, Kaylin, do the dishes, how would you feel? (laughs) You would be like, (laughs) (laughs)
1: I would definitely slap him with like my eyes, like a look of just like, (laughs) what are you saying to me?
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, but if he said, Hey, Kaylin, can you do the dishes? You might be like, yeah. Okay. So I just want to kind of put that out there because this, the piece about how we ask is really important. We often use what we call in mindful parenting, these language um, communication barriers. And orders are one of them. So if we can kind of think about that, and also think about like, well, how would I say this to my partner? How would I say this to like my respected auntie? You know, how mm-hmm. how we want to think about what is that language we're using to our to our kids, and and try not to make it be um, kind of military orders and and threats and things like that. So the orders are good. So can you clean up? That's great. I mean, if for me, I could be like, well, no, I guess I can't clean up, you know, or, you know, (laughs) you might say, just to be more specific, you might say like, hey, would you, it's time to clean up, you know, can you get those done or something like that. So that, but that's really, I'm being really, really picky with you, but that's great. So you clean, you ask her to clean up and she doesn't want to, and then she's dragging her feet, little mild back talk. So what is a a thing she might say to you, like, uh, uh, as she's dragging her feet and resisting? like?
1: It wasn't in this scenario, but I know in the past that she has she said something like, what was it about? About like, oh mom, well that's your job or something. And I was like, hello girl, it is not my job. (laughs) You know, like this coming
0: from a little five year old. All right. So she's having some resistance. And so what, yeah. so this is great. So the, and this happens all the time. So I'm glad you brought this up because what she's having is some normal resistance to cleaning up because it's not fun to clean up. Um, it, I might want to put like a little footnote in that. Cause we could talk about like how, what the situation is like in the environment, as far as the toys and is it overwhelming? Is it too much for her? Are there too many mm. toys out? that that can be a big part of it. For most families, there's way too much for a five-year-old to put away by themselves in five minutes. So we want to kind of um, set the stage and make the environment conduce- re- ready for success for them so that they can make it easily successful. So they, they have en- enough things that they can... Put it back easily, and not a huge pile because that's just overwhelming for everybody, so we want to make the environment ready for them, but let's assume the environment's great, she's just dragging her feet, having some resistance and um, so what we want to d- think about in that point is like uh, who has a problem right so she when she every, anytime she's resisting the stuff you ask, she has a problem right she's she's indicating to you that I have a problem with this. There's for some reason or other, it's just not something I'm like super enthused about doing right now. And so when we look at communication, we have different skills for when we have, when you have a problem, right? When you your that sort of line of what's acceptable to you has been crossed and then different, and then we have another set of skills for when she has a problem. And so when someone else has a problem, whether it's leona or whether it's your partner whoever it is we want to think about like one of the best tools for helping people when they have a problem and 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 this is what we want to think about as parents is like how can we kind of like teach them to get over this this how can we teach them to get through this moment skillfully not um, I'm in a battle with my child because most often we kind of come to it and like when we bring the threats, it's like, oh, you bring this. I will, I will up you and I'm going to bring this threat, right? You know? So we want to kind of not get in this adversarial place. We want to sort of stay on her side. So a way to stay on her side would be to, you know, she says, Oh, you clean up or I don't want to clean up. And and what you're gonna, what you can do in that moment is a really great skill called just reflective listening. And it's like you're just gonna, I call it reflective listening because you're just gonna hold up a mirror to what's happening to her and reflect back. And this is a way that we can help other people solve their own problems, help our kids solve their own problems. So, oh, so you be Leona, you've said this to me. I don't wanna do it. And I'll say to you, Leona, I get it. It sucks to clean up. I I, I don't like cleaning up my stuff either. And what do you think she might say?
1: Yeah, that's how I feel.
0: Yeah, I know. It's so fun to play with them, but then we have to put them all away again. But I guess we have to because that's what we do before we go to lunch.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you can see if like, it may not work exactly like that, but we can see what generally happens is when we empathetically listen and we say, yeah, I get it. You know, this, you don't want to do this thing. And, and I wouldn't want to either, you know, or whatever, if we can kind of say, I hear you and I see you, um, that just acknowledgement of what they're saying to us, Mm -hmm. then it really just takes the emotional temperature for kids down a whole lot. And for all of us, right? Like imagine if you went to a friend with a problem and she was like, just do this thing. And you were like, hey, don't you see that I'm upset, right? We want to have that same like acknowledgement of you, you hear me, you see me, you, you heard and saw what I said. So if you, what I want you to maybe practice with, with her is to go in and when she's having resistance for you to acknowledge that, just acknowledge that, oh, I know cleaning up is not the fun part of playing. I get it, you know, and, and, and that, that will help a lot. So thoughts on this?
1: No, that's a great reminder. I mean, that's something, it's a skill that I've been working on. I mean, I've read your book <laughs> and, and I've read <laughs> other books too about, um, about that. And it's, it's something that when I can remember to do it, it does work. And it almost works like magic where I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like it feels not that I'm tricking her, but I'm like, Oh, this feels like awesome that this is working (laughs) when I'm like, when we're in it together and I'm, it feels like it's also bringing us closer not putting us against one another, which feels really good. Um, But then I fall away from it. Like I, I practice it. I remember it. And then like little by little, it, falls away. And maybe that's just part of the learning process and and shifting these behaviors is that you have to like keep and consciously returning to it. Um, but yeah, that's a great reminder.
0: All right. Awesome. Good. Yeah. And you're right. That is just part of the learning process. Like you're like trying to learn a new language, right? Your parents probably didn't respond the same way. So this isn't your native language. And so it, it takes time and practice and support and all that to kind of get there. And so let's, let's imagine though, that for some reason she's got a strong need and she's still dragging her feet and she still doesn't want to clean up. So now it's kind of, you've reflected back and she's still like, whatever, for whatever reason, like, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. Right. So, um, so what do we do in that moment? That's probably the next question. And, or at least I can yeah. hear that in the, in the, the, listener, like is in my ear saying, well, yeah, that doesn't work. what if it, yeah, what if it doesn't <laughs> happen that nicely?
1: Um, yeah. So in our household, that would probably be a moment where I would pick up something that I had been hoping to get rid of anyway <laughs> and start walking <laughs> towards the trash
0: can. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Well, so first of all, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do idle threats because they're going to, they're going to believe you. And, or if you do use threats that you don't really mean, they're going to learn not to believe you. Yes. So they're either going to say, mommy, you know, their BS meter is like reading off the hook or, <laughs> or they're going to, or they're going to think you're, you are really, really mean and turn all that resentment on you. So I wouldn't, <clears throat> I wouldn't do that. I mean, there is a place for um, a lot, a natural consequence there, right? Like if you've pr- provided a boundary and the toys aren't there, and they your daughter can't clean up the toys, then there's a place where maybe you're not you're not ready, you you're not mature enough yet to be able to handle these these toys and being able to put them away. So I'm gonna take these toys and I'm gonna put them in a timeout for a couple weeks. And then we'll bring them back and we'll try again. But not um, I'm throwing away your precious things. Yes. <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> No, that is extreme. And the other the other option, if I'm not in that place, it would probably just be like, oh fine, and I would pick up the choice.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. That's you know,
1: like depending (sighs) on where I'm at.
0: (laughs) So we want to think about, so now this problem has shifted to where you have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And we wanna think about um, you know, and we want and when we look at problems like that, we can see that we have different needs, you know, you, you, Leona has some needs and you have some needs and some of your needs mm-hmm. in this moment are to have like a pretty clean and tidy house um, so that you can enjoy your house. So you want, so the way to talk about this is to, to hold an empathetic boundary like this is to hold your boundary using um, then, which is another skill on the opposite side, which is your I message, right? So, so a good I message includes three parts a description of the behavior, how it makes you feel, and how it affects you. And, uh, and the effects are like uh, if I were taking a videotape of your house, Kaylin, like well, how would it affect you if those toys were there and, and you were an annoyed with the whole thing? So, so let's, let's make one for this situation. So first, wh- how can you describe the behavior without being blameful? Um, just kind of a neutral description. <laughs>
1: like when the toys aren't picked up. Yeah, 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 great. Is that, yeah, like I'm not just calling her out.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So when the toys aren't picked up, how do you feel? We are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat. They're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat. No sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing. Amazing. An incredible, comfortable fit. Use code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. Premium headwear, melon.com, use the code MINDFUL for 30% off. We are sponsored by MIDI Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. All of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause, and the experts at MIDI Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. Midi Clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions. Medicare is covered by insurance, and with Midi Health, you can stop pushing through it all alone. Schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth. You'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better. You deserve to feel great book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com that's join m i d i com joinmidi.com
1: i feel i wouldn't i wouldn't say if i'm doing this i wouldn't use the word like annoyed. but could i is frustrated okay or yeah. do we not want to frustrated
0: like... or annoyed okay. or okay both of them are okay right. it's really about what you congruently honestly authentically feel okay because She's going to see through you if you um, understate or overstate it. Got it. Um, and then she's not going to trust you. So you just have to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Frustrated is the word is like that comes up most with this because yeah. generally we want to use this kind of message when we're frustrated. But yeah, if you feel annoyed, that that's totally fine too. So when the toys are out, I feel annoyed. And then how does it affect you? And this is a really important part of it. She needs to know what the effects of her behavior are on your life, someone she cares about.
1: Yeah. So for me, when the toys aren't picked up, I feel like I can't enjoy the house and also that they don't really value my time or the stuff I'm doing because I'm just the toy (laughs) (laughs) picker-upper. All right, so I I probably wouldn't lay all that on a five-year-old, but
0: yeah, for sure. And I think that's probably that's some that's some projection on your part, right? Like, there's some like we can see that there's that's some baggage on your part that has nothing to do with whether she's picking up the toys or not, or we don't know. There's like no way you could ever know that, and that's all. That's a lot of that's probably like a story, you know, that's kind of coming up in, in your
1: mind. Yes, it's very mind, much a story.
0: <laughs> in your mind. <laughs> it's really, um, and, but I'm glad you said it. And it's, it's really honest. And it's a lot of us, um, we, we have these thoughts that come up that my child is manipulating me, they're doing this on purpose, they're doing all these things. And especially now, when we're in this um, pandemic and we're all sheltering in place, and everybody's, you know, we um, we need to remember that our kids' behaviors are tell us a lot more about our kids (laughs) than they do about us in a lot of ways. You know, it's there. There's a especially this pandemic. There's a lot of. their pressure like Leona may be missing her favorite teacher these other important people in her life so if she was having behaviors that were really challenging like hitting or you know all that stuff like we need to understand put that in the context of there's some really big stuff happening and and um, there our kids have a nervous system that reacts to these things too. Okay, I hope that special on-air coaching snippet was helpful to you. It's a great reminder to me, too, believe it or not. Even though I'm answering the question, it's amazing how it really is so helpful to get support and help and reminders in all of these things. And that's one of the things that we do in the membership. We get support and help and reminders. And actually, last week, we share our wins each week. And we had some amazing wins where Lynn consciously stopped herself from yelling at her kids a lot of times this week, which is awesome. Allie made, you know, when her kids were running wild and jumping on the couch, instead of becoming crazy, she diverted their energy into making forts, which was like a super Zen mama move or, you know, sort of Tai Chi mama move, I think. And sometimes the wins are just like, they survive the week and we come together and we celebrate that, yes, absolutely. And uh, shout out to Candice, who is also able to stay calm and grounded while navigating a busy week with finals with her child, too. So, yay. Yay for all those wins. And I think that getting those reminders, getting that support, getting that community, ah, it's just one of the best ways to really make change happen. So powerful. Okay, let's dive into our next one. This is the number four most popular episode of 2020. This is not gonna be a big surprise to you. It's episode number 212, how to survive being quarantined with your kids with Katherine Perlman. And we talk about how to handle academics and remote learning, how we really need to, to lower our expectations and really make this a special time. We talk about the mindsets and more. You'll hear about this, and this was recorded right in the very beginning of the stay-at-home orders in the pandemic, at least for me. So it's interest. it's amazing how much of it is still so applicable, because my kids are currently remote learning, unfortunately. So so yeah, let's dive into How to Survive Being Quarantined with Your Kids, episode number 212 with Katherine Perlman. What do we do with uh, the survey? 24/7 exposure to our kids. How do, how are, what are some of the ways we can get through it, Catherine?
2: So for me, honestly, the first thing is just a a mind shift. Things are going to be different, and we can't try and keep things the same uh, in all ways because we'll lose our mind because things are not the same. So there are going to be some things that we're going to be able to be more flexible with and um, more creative with, and there are going to be other things. That we need to stay really strict with. So, one thing I always recommend for keeping any kind of stability is to keep meal times and sleep times the same. Mm. So, even if we throw everything out the window and things are all different, especially the younger kids, um, but honestly, even teens, the more we can keep, um, their body rhythms to be the same, the easier the transition is. So you get a lot fewer meltdowns um, because people are overtired or not getting enough sleep or they're too hungry or they're they're eating at wrong times. Um, so those are kind of my non-negotiables of um, when all craziness happens and everybody's stuck together, at least try and keep your routines the same um,
3: mm-hmm. in terms
2: of meals and everything. Otherwise, um, parents will be cooking meals, adding snacks all day, every day, kids would be on different schedules. And um, that's okay for like a couple days, but it really starts to lose its charm after, um, you know, three or four days of everybody being together. Um, And getting enough sleep is so vital. Parents really underestimate what happens after two or three days of not getting enough sleep. Behavior really starts to change. There's a lot more um, anger, frustration, crying. So uh, those are the just the first things to really consider
0: i would I would add to that, yeah, I mean that that whole sense of like a, a rhythm like kids need this sense of a rhythm and uh, that some sense of predictability right this this sense of I know what 's kind of happening in the world and they 're sensing the unpredictability of this situation, and so for us to have these some some rhythm and some predictability especially with these non negotiables that they, they're, like, um, they're like healthy boundaries that make them feel safe. And they, they make us feel a little cr- less crazy and they'll make your kids feel a little less crazy, a little more grounded. And, and I, yeah, I appreciate that. I, I, I love that first one. Thank you.
2: Yeah, some sense of normalcy, I think will definitely calm some people's anxieties, just even going through the motions um, for parents and kids can, can lower that for sure. Um, you know, uh, as far as school is concerned, you know, all homeschool parents will tell you this, but people who go to traditional school are not used to this. Kids can learn in at least half the time, if not less, what they're learning in school all day. When you have a classroom of 25 to 35 students, things have to go at a much slower pace. And there's also a lot of bathroom time, walking to the cafeteria, Um, there's um, announcements, there's assemblies. There's a lot of things that happen in the day that can um, just add more time on. So parents don't need to think about filling education time for the same number of hours that kids would typically be in school. They can really focus on the academic part. What's the minimum I need for my kids to stay on track? Beyond the basic things we talked about, we have to lighten up a little bit for our own sanity and to preserve our relationships. And I think a lot of times parents think they have to do this. They have to educate all the time, or they have to um, discipline all the time, or they have to have order all the time. And that's exhausting for parents. And when we're in a time of stress, when we're stuck at home all together for who knows how long, that is going to build and build and build. And so one way to kind of break some of that is to loosen up and let go of some of what would be typical. So if kids are going to be home all day, every day, maybe some Lego projects get left out. Maybe a fort doesn't get put away. Uh, My kids, even still, my 13-year-old will build a fort and I just let it go. And I'm shocked at what goes on in that fort for days. It can be a lot of entertainment. Someone was asking me um, for advice on Facebook yesterday. And I recommended this time when um, we had a snowstorm for days in New York and Um, My kids unwrapped a wrapping paper roll and I was not happy. Like normally that would not be okay. They played with that for three days. I mean, it was a fort. It was a dress. They were swords. I mean, it was origami. It was absolutely amazing what my kids did. But if I was holding on so tight to what I typically would do and what the rules would normally be, that would never have happened. And not only that, a lot of negativity would have actually happened. So I think letting go of some of that um, will make parents actually feel better and will make them enjoy their time with their kids more. And, you know, that's, that's the goal right now is to get through this in one piece. And also, you know, on some level, this can be a really special time at home with your family. There's very few distractions on the outside. We're stuck together. If you can do it right, this can actually be a bonding time for you and your kids. So, that might mean breaking the rules. So, um, maybe you typically limit sweets to just the weekends or occasionally. Maybe this is the time to like bust out all the ingredients and make like a three layer cake with homemade icing and roses and you eat cake for dinner. Like, I don't know. Or you eat it every day for, you know, a dessert after every meal. Or, um, you know, you watch the British baking British, show. I was just going to yeah. say, I'm I I was like- to make croissants, you know, <laughs> yes. I mean, why not? You have the time and, um, this is an activity and it'll make a mess, you know, and normally <laughs> there's no time for messes because we have to work and we have, you know, a lot of stress and, but some of that will go away. And if we can kind of dig into, um, getting creative and doing things we might not normally do, this can actually be a really fun time.
4: I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster klux. You've come
5: to the right place.
0: I love, I love the way you're talking about that, Catherine. And I would, I would add to everything you just said, which is amazing and beautiful that, you know, from a mindset point of view with this in the, from the mindfulness world, we have a thing that we call beginner's mind and you can bring, and I invite you to really practice to bring that to these situations and to this time. Notice to the extent where you're, that you're anticipating difficulty or you're anticipating frustration. And then see if you can instead come into the present moment, just try to let go of some of that judgment and that, you know, we, it's very natural that we all have a natural negativity bias. That's, that's just part of the, part of the package for all of us, part of our nervous system. And, but knowing that, know that, you know, that negativity bias might make you start to look out for the problems. And instead, can you start to, you can think about it like inside your body, there's the the seeds of the negativity and the seeds of looking for the problems, but there's also the seeds of curiosity, the seeds of peace, the seeds of enjoyment. See if you can water these other seeds and bring this idea of beginner's mind or looking at your kids as if you've, Never met them before, as if you're really curious about who is this person right now. Because the truth is, those kids are different from when where they who they were when they went to bed last night. So, can you bring this idea of curiosity? And I love that idea that can can you bring in the possibility that Catherine just so wisely suggested that this can be a really special time. So, so while you're planning for how to handle this time by listening to this and hanging here with us. Also think about, think about that mindset, bringing, bringing some curiosity, noticing the the judgment that arises, the anticipation of difficulty that arises and just say, okay, make it, make a different choice. (laughs) <laughs> and i love i love that this is you named a book ignoring it so um you talk about that sometimes it's better when we do nothing when we ignore some poor behavior and and i know some some of the listeners are going to be like wait a second what the heck are they talking about so please tell us a little bit more about that
2: sure so it sounds very counterintuitive because as parents we believe that the best way to Help our kids is to get involved and to tell them how they should behave and um, to discipline and you know help change behavior. But uh, a lot of times, what's happening is we're um, reinforcing bad behavior. We're giving it a lot of attention. We're negotiating. We're giving in half the time, and kids learn that this behavior, like whining, complaining, negotiating, tantruming, um, all gets a reaction, and the reaction can be um we give in so we say no to dessert or we say no to a movie but then they kind of needle us a little bit and they were like okay so we said no now we say yes they learn that behavior is it works um sometimes uh we say they have to eat their carrots and they say can i just have two and we say have four and they're like three and we say okay so they know negotiating is very effective i should do it more often And sometimes they just want us to be angry. Like we say, no, you cannot have dessert or no, you cannot go to a friend's house. And they are very angry. And what they want from us is also to be angry. And so they act up, we get mad, we yell, we punish. And they're like, great, now we're both mad. Um, So a lot of times any kind of reaction from us is reinforcing that behavior. Kids learn these are effective methods to get something that I want. So it's better to ignore it. Um, and especially when you're cooped up at home with your kids for days on end, there's a lot of behavior to ignore. First of all, anything that's annoying, let it go. There's no point. Tapping pencils, sitting weirdly on the chair, making weird noises, being loud, um, being too silly, using baby talk. It's all annoying, but there's no benefit at all in saying anything about it. Just let it go. And the funny thing that happens to parents when they do ignore it they feel better instantly. The idea that we don't have to discipline everything, all of a sudden, it's like we feel lighter. We can look at our kids in a better light. We can enjoy them more. And to me, that is really the goal of this whole parenting gig is to enjoy our kids and come out of it at the end with an intact relationship. So ignoring a lot of the annoying stuff, a lot of the little stuff, a lot of the bad behavior strengthens the relationship almost immediately.
0: I am so grateful to Catherine for coming on back in March to help us, uh, help us navigate this crazy time. So, so helpful. Amazing how much of it is still so applicable. All right. Our number three most popular episode of 2020 was How to Combat Perfectionism with Sharon Martin. And we talk about the problems with perfectionism and how to break free, even if you are a people pleaser. So check out this episode from episode number 206, how to combat perfectionism with Sharon Martin.
7: I, I think we have, you know, really gotten to the point where, um, you know, we're starting to recognize that perfectionism is a problem for so many people. And, and and people are looking for some some help, which is a good thing at this point that, you know, I think we're sort of past for the most part the idea that, oh, this is a, a good thing. You know, it used to be, you know, that was sort of the right answer to give, you know, for one of your flaws, you know, when somebody would ask you on a <laughs> job interview, right, oh, I'm a perfectionist. And I think now we realize, well, that's not really such a good thing anymore. Um so, so, yes, I mean, and as I have figured out ways to deal with it for myself and, um, like I said, for, for clients, it, it has sort of been a natural progression of figuring out, here's some things that can be helpful around perfectionism. Here's some ways that we can sort of dial that back and, you know, bring some more balance um, and some more compassion into our lives and, and really be able to do more of the things that we want to do and have more of a fulfilling life. Um, so that, that's, you know, a little bit of sort of how, a, how it came full circle for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, for for the the listener who's you know, I think a lot of us are you know we're still kind of we we're immersed in our culture of achievement and all of those things. So I think it might be helpful for us to think about you know why. Let's just lay it out there. Why why is it so harmful? What what is wrong with perfectionism?
7: Well, I think we have to make the distinction between perfectionism. And high standards or striving for excellence and I think that's probably the most common you know misconception about this is that there's nothing wrong with having high standards there's nef- nothing wrong with wanting to work hard and get a lot done the problem is when you have such high standards that they are completely unrealistic and there is no way for you to actually meet them um, and when you you know, do accomplish something, you know, you achieve something, you've done something that you feel that one would think you would feel proud of. Perfectionists, and perfectionists really don't feel good about it. They're, it's sort of like it's never enough. There's always something more because we're just chasing some kind of external validation to make us feel like we're good enough. And that's sort of that root of it is there's really like this really, um, Core piece of, you know, I guess you could might call it sort of low self esteem or or sort of some sense of not being as good as everybody else, and so you're always in that mindset of got to prove myself, and that proving um, comes out in this perfectionistic behavior. So I, you know, it ultimately seems like I, I can't actually be as good as everybody else. I I need to be better. I have to be the best. I have to be perfect, and then like I said, that that's just you know a setup for you know, feeling lousy about yourself because you're never going to achieve that that goal of perfection. So we're trying to, you know, prove that we're worthy, but we can never do it because we've we've sort of set it up in a way that it's impossible. So we continue to feel inadequate and, you know, lousy and, you know, bad about ourselves in various ways because we can't meet these ridiculously high expectations that we've set for ourselves.
0: You have some questions I think are really astute to uncover, you know, what you call the cognitive distortions or these basically like untrue thoughts that are these thoughts that are leading us astray. What are some of the, what are some of the questions someone can ask if they feel like they're kind of stuck in this perfectionist spiral and they want to kind of jolt themselves out of it?
7: Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to back up a, a smidge oh, yeah, yeah. here, just do. to say, because okay. just in case some people aren't really familiar with with this idea of cognitive distortions, which I, I always think it sounds really horrible <laughs> to think <laughs> like your thoughts are distorted. Um, so just sort of set that aside. Um, we all have cognitive distortions. We all basically it just sort of means we all see the world through our own lens, right? Through our own experience, through our own beliefs about ourselves. Um. And it, it, it sort of colors our perception of things. We all, you know, we know that we don't all, you know, see the sa- see the world in the same way, or we can have the same experience and have different thoughts and feelings about it. Um, and so, you know, as we grow up, you know, we develop certain beliefs about ourselves and you know, and as we've been talking, you know, you might, you know, kind of notice some of the ones that are common for perfectionists that that tend to be around things like, you know, you know, I believe that I'm, you know, not as smart or as funny or as pretty or you know, some some sort of element of I don't think I'm as good as, you know, everybody else. And so if I if I have that belief about myself, I tend to go about the world. Um, finding evidence unconsciously, you know, through that negativity bias, I'm just sort of going to find things that you sort of fit with that. And say, oh, there, there's proof that I really am not good at math, mm-hmm. right? Um, instead of being able to say, maybe I just, you know, I made a simple arithmetic error, you know. So if my belief is I'm not good at math, I'm going to, you know, see that arithmetic error and say, there's, there's more proof that I suck at math, right? Instead of just saying, oh, you know, I was distracted and I, you know, I made a mistake right um, doesn't necessarily have to mean i'm lousy at math right um, but so once you realize that you're having that negative distorted thought that's not necessarily accurate, um, what you want to do is is sort of dig into that and and like you said, sort of ask yourself some questions to find out you know is this really true or not um, because we don't we can't really we can't really change the thought until we realize that it's off, right? You might just sort of have, have a sense like, okay, here's here, something that I'm not sure if this is very true or not. Um, but what, one thing you can ask yourself is just, I mean, is it a helpful thought? I mean, is it actually, you know, bringing you closer to what you want to achieve? And so, if I'm I'm trying to, you know, feel better about myself and be less perfectionistic, um, having a thought that I'm, you know, lousy at math is that helpful for me? Probably not. You know, so I can then sort of ask myself, well, maybe is there a different way that I could think about this? Um, You know, or you could just ask yourself, you know, are there other sources of evidence? Right? You know, I, I shouldn't, you know, come to a conclusion that I suck at math based on, you know, one mistake. Right, I you know I, I need to explore this a bit further and say you know you know is there other evidence to support this? Um, maybe I could even you know ask you know some other people for their opinion and see if they have you know some thoughts too um, about it because sometimes other people see things a little bit differently and so they might be helpful in being able to you know point me in a different direction with
0: it. One yeah. one last thing I wanted to ask you about is this idea of you know we talked uh, you know the about how perfectionists are really wanting to, you know, wanting to make themselves feel good and wanting to make them wanting to um, wanting to please other people. They're basically wanting to do everything well so that nobody's ever upset with them. And so this, um, the, there's this underlying thing of people pleasing, right? And you and so you talk about how learning to be assertive in a chapter in your book, which I think is great. So I wonder if maybe you could just talk a little bit about learning to be, um, assertive if we're always people pleasing and find Mm -hmm. ourselves in that place.
7: Yeah. There's, there's a few different things that I think intersect here. Um, you know, and like you said, part of, part of the struggle here is that, you know, we want to keep everybody happy all of the time. Um, but, but we just can't. So I mean, I think part of it always comes back to trying to set realistic expectations and and understand that so much of what we're asking of ourselves is just simply impossible. I cannot please everybody all of the time. Um, And in. And when I try to, there's a big cost for myself, right? And that, you know, over time, we usually start to feel the effects um, of putting everybody before ourselves, right? We get really tired and drained and cranky, you know, maybe we have health problems or mental health problems. So so it definitely starts to show up. Um, so once we once we can sort of accept on a very simple, you know, Basis, like this is a truth for all of us. It's not, there's not, again, there's sort of nothing deficient about you. It's just something that nobody can do. Um, and so the other part of it is it, is if we're going to be more assertive, we're going to ask for more of what we want or, you know, speak up more for what we need um in in different situations and with different people we have to first know what we want we have to know what we need we have to know what we feel and, and this is a place where perfectionists perfectionists often are very disconnected from themselves right again when if so much of, of the focus is on other people and keeping other people happy and meeting their expectations often we we really don't even know you know how am i feeling about this situation um, you know, what do I need? Because you know, I think there, there's the connection between you know, what you need is going to be connected back to how you feel about something. So often what we need to first do is really just slow down a little bit and start to check in with ourselves and ask ourselves, okay, how am I feeling? You know, what is it that I need in this situation? Um, and that can take some practice. If you're not used to doing it and you're not, you know, somebody who tends to slow down and, you know, pay attention to their feelings, it, it can feel really awkward. Um, both, I think, just the slowing down, but sort of allowing some of the feelings and the needs to come up. But Again, I think we have to keep coming back to, you know, that, those exp- realistic expectations and and normalizing that everybody has needs. There's, you know, not a single person who has zero needs. And that, again, that's it's this unrealistic expectation that we have, like, oh, I shouldn't need anything. I shouldn't want anything. I shouldn't have to ask for anything. Um, humans just do not work that way. Right? We, all, yeah. we yeah. all need things from ourselves, from other people, from, you know, the universe. And so, you know, the best way to get your needs met is to ask right? I mean, that's not a guarantee. But if I, you know, if I ask my my spouse for for what I need in the relationship, you know, it's going to be much easier for him to be able to give me that.
0: I think that's such an interesting connection between people pleasing and perfectionism and so important to kind of identify that and and free ourselves from it. Gosh, it can be so, you know, never good enough, right? Perfectionism. So I hope that if you have any of those perfectionist tendencies, this episode has helped you listen to the full episode, How to Combat Perfectionism. It's episode number 206. I wish I had a drum roll. We're counting down the second most popular episode of the Mindful Mama podcast from 2020 was self-care for overwhelmed parents with alicia beach and it's episode number 208 and alicia and i had a great time recording this we got to record it in person which was so nice way back when <laughs> and we talk about how we need to keep ourselves replenished and to be able to handle whatever life throws at us uh, including hello pandemic coming Yeah, and it's so true. If you don't take care of yourself, things begin to build until you really fall apart. So we really do have to purposely prioritize, create plans, schedule time for ourselves, and ask for help. All of those things, so, so, so important. Let's dive into self-care for overwhelmed parents with Alicia Beach. Life is gonna
8: happen. Like You cannot control what life is gonna throw at you at all. And even when you're like, yeah, I'm going to voluntarily step into this situation or take this on, you have no idea what comes along with all the things that that brings. Mm
3: -hmm. And
8: so I do, I talk a lot about self-care and because you have to prepare yourself to be centered, to be able to take all those things on without losing yourself in it.
0: We don't realize in some ways like, this sort of self-identity and like what that means mm-hmm. in some ways to me and we tell ourselves like I'm just I'm just a stay-at-home mom and 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 the, this is how I spend my days with little kids and wiping butts and it's some I'm annoyed and frustrated and all of those things yeah. and like it's hard it's like hard to say well okay what you know what are those things wait a second like what are those things that fulfill me that not only just helped me not lose my temper, but also who, you know, make me the person I am that I'm I'm still the same, you know, not yeah. I'm not the same person I was before I had kids.
8: But it was really just like this culmination yeah. of all the things that I had been taking in, not just kind of stamping down, because I had to keep going. I hadn't been doing anything for me, I hadn't been Dealing with any of my self care, because who has time for that? Mm-hmm. And I, it was a mess, and I, and after that day, because it was like, oh, if I just wait till this moment, then I'll have this big grand trip, and I'll get all this mm-hmm. rest, and everything's gonna be fine after that. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I then think, it got
0: the door got slammed in <laughs> yeah. your face. Oh no! And it was
8: kind of the universe's way of saying you can't do this. And we have to show you that this is not (laughs) a sustainable practice. What you're doing here Mm -hmm. is not going to work for you. Because life is going to happen. And if you keep waiting for the big moment Mm -hmm. to do something about it, you're going to fall apart. I had to create a plan. Because, I mean, when you have all of that stuff going on, there's just no way that you could actually get focused on yourself if there's not some kind of structure to it Mm. but one of the first things I had to sit down and do is to really get honest with myself about how I was using my time
6: Mm.
8: like was I really using my time in the way that was most beneficial to me or was I like using candy crush for 45 minutes (laughs) at the end of the night which is a total like fair you zone out but what is it giving back to you Mm like was my time is so limited is my time giving me what i need so i had to really sit down and get honest about how i was really using my time and if the things that i was doing was serving me in the ways that i needed so i took basically a um uh i tracked all the things that i was doing Mm -hmm. uh to be honest with myself and i was wasting a lot of time honestly which I think a lot of us do and we're not even aware of it, how much time we're actually not using to our advantage. Then I had to sit down and think about, okay, what do I really wanna do for myself? What are the some of the things that I want that I have not been doing? And then just pick a few of those to focus on at a time and then to actually sit down and plan my week out. Okay, I need, I want to be able to read I want to be eating better because my energy is low and I'm not feeling good these days and I need to be getting more sleep. So what are just a few things I can focus on right now to change my practice of and then Mm -hmm. once I get that in check, then I can add something else. Mm -hmm. So I just started like instead of bringing my phone to bed, reading. Mm. keeping a book by the side of my bed and on the back of the toilet
0: (laughs) (laughs) plug the phone in downstairs yeah (laughs) on
8: my desk away from me so I'm not even tempted to pick Mm. it up and the next thing I knew I was reading again and I was Mm. finishing you know like a book a month it's not what how I used to read but I was accomplishing things and then I started being very mindful about okay lights out at 10 o'clock so and mind you, this, these things cycle. Like sometimes I'm really, really good about it and sometimes I'm really, really not. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I would try to do it for 30 days to change the habit and make it a practice. Yeah. So yeah. I just plan, create a plan, put that plan into actual time pieces in your day. Like mm-hmm. when are you actually going to take the time? And most of it was just 15 minutes mm-hmm. in the morning, 15 minutes in the afternoon, 15 minutes at night but just that setting that side of time for my that time aside for myself made a huge difference for me just a little little, tiny bit of time or if I know I'm driving somewhere and I'm stressed out just taking that moment to turn off the radio and having Mm -hmm. a mindful moment as I'm Mm -hmm. driving to let my brain kind of relax Mm -hmm. and be so just really being mindful (laughs) about what I'm doing and how it's feeding me and not just throwing my time away because I just I need to zone out.
6: Yes. Which is
8: yes, that's a form of self care, but is the zoning out giving me what I need.
0: Yeah, and if you actually are end up like kind of looking at your time really consciously you might find you have a little time to zone out too, and yeah. that's okay. You know? and, but if you're if you're specific about yeah. that
8: and you intentional. know, yeah, intentional yeah. about that, then you you're not sitting there going, okay, I'm spending this hour to watch Netflix, but really I should be doing dishes and yeah. I should be doing this. So you're not even enjoying the time that you're taking because mm-hmm. you're not being intentional about it, and then we end up beating ourselves up about the 50 other things that we're not doing. My biggest problem was not saying, hey, um, honey, I need, can you do the afternoon with the kids when you're home, because I just need that downtime to kind of catch up with everything while you've been gone. Mm-hmm. Or just, you know, maybe asking my mom to come down to visit while he's away to support me in some ways. I found that my biggest obstacle to that was myself. Mm-hmm. and trying to get out of my own way and actually state that I need help and putting people in place to do that. The other side of it was I felt like taking on the title of stay-at-home mom meant that I had to do all these things.
0: Oh, you are you are pointing to something really important here. That's <laughs> just like I want to underline it right now because let's just say that again because it's such a BS thing we tell it ourselves. Is. like. Okay,
8: say it again. Yeah, I mean, I was like, okay, I'm the stay at home mom now, so I should be making all the dinners from scratch and I should be fully entertaining my children. And oh, they should have some form of school time in the middle of the day, and my refrigerator should be organized and the dishes should be done and the laundry should be done and I'm gonna
0: look fabulous doing all of those things (laughs) and it
8: was like and then I was beating myself up because I couldn't do all of that but in my head I'm but I'm stay-at-home mom like this is my full-time job and I should be doing all these things and so then my husband would come home and say a random statement like wow why is the fridge a mess and I would take it so personally because in my mm-hmm. head that means I didn't do my job. And he sees that I didn't do my job and then that means I'm not holding up my side of the bargain in this whole marriage thing. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely not. He's just doing what he does. He he's a super organized person. I am not. <laughs> and it's like, but I was taking everything so personally and had developed this this standard Of how I should be doing everything, as opposed to, no, I'm not capable of keeping the clean, the house clean while having two, three kids at home full time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm gonna bring someone to clean in the house and take that on. You know what? It's impossible to go grocery shopping with two kids in tow and actually get all the things that I need. So, hello, Amazon. (laughs) We're gonna have the groceries (laughs) delivered to my house. You deserve downtime to do nothing Mm -hmm. you deserve that time and so does your partner so don't feel guilt in asking that and don't guilt your partner for asking for that because we need time to develop ourselves and be with ourselves because all that does is help you be a better partner a better wife a better mother whatever Mm -hmm. it is you need to be because you've had that time to check in with yourself
0: Hearing Alicia's voice just brings me back because we get to hang out in a beautiful place in California and record that in person before we even knew any of this was on the horizon. So crazy, right? Imagine going to other places. Whoa, what a concept. Oh man. So that was the second most popular episode of 2020. And now... Finally, what you have been waiting for, the number one most popular episode from the Mindful Mama podcast from 2020, drumroll please. It is Discipline Explained with Tina Payne Bryson, episode number 238. I'm not surprised Tina Payne Bryson is an amazingly popular author and she has so much wisdom and so much to offer. We talk about what the biggest error in discipline is and what helps us to switch from a place of reactivity to one where we can react skillfully. So this is her, she's such a great speaker, such a powerful voice of wisdom, helping us stay grounded. And yeah, let's dive into this. Discipline Explained with Tina Payne Bryson, episode number 238, the number one most popular episode from 2020. What is the biggest thing that most parents get wrong about discipline and about holding holding boundaries, like about discipline in general? Yeah, that's a
6: great question.
0: I think probably what we get wrong the
6: most is that we forget that the purpose of discipline is about teaching and building skills mm-hmm. so that they can do it differently the next time. Or if not that next time, over time as development unfolds, we get so focused on Um, responding to the behavior without looking at the mind behind the behavior, without looking at why it's happening in the first place. Mm
2: -hmm. And
6: so really in a given moment, our kid's doing something, we don't like it, or it breaks a rule or it hurts somebody and we get reactive. We're like, you know, it's funny because we have this instinct to protect our young, right? And so when someone harms our young, we can get really reactive, right? That's like the, Mm -hmm. the, Mama bear in us, right? Even if the perpetrator is also your young, right? So, like, older kid, you know, punches younger kid. It's hard to really be mindful and calm in those moments. So, I think one of my favorite stories to tell is about a time one of my um, one of my sons hit his brother, and they were probably about eight and five at the time. And the older one came in and was like, "JP hit me," and you know, and he was hurt. And so I comforted him. And then I came around the corner and my youngest one, JP was just fuming. I mean, he was just beet red. His muscles were tense. He was like gritting his teeth. Like he was so angry. So in that moment though, like my first instinct is not always my best, right? Sure. (laughs) My first instinct is like, you don't hit, like you don't hit, like we don't do that. What are you doing? You know, and why would you hurt your brother? Which is a question, but totally not really a question. So I'm not helpful, right? Yeah. yeah, not helpful. Uh, we say the most ridiculous things actually often in those discipline moments. But when I can stay regulated, when I can like take a breath and see that my child is so angry that he's probably in a really heightened state of stress. So just like if he were physically hurt, I would go and comfort him. He needs that right now as well. Now, don't worry, I'm gonna address the behavior. This is not permissiveness. Mm -hmm. But if my goal is to teach, and for for me in the moment, the lesson is like, if you get really angry, you can't hurt someone else. That's the lesson, right? That's the the main thing I need to address. Um, If my goal is to teach, then I know that he has to be in a receptive, regulated state in order to learn. So, in the name of discipline, and by that I mean teaching, I've got to get my kid calm first, mm-hmm. and one of the things that calms any of us quickly, better than most things,
0: is empathy and connection.
6: Mm-hmm. So and I say to
0: him, yeah. "Sorry, especially kids, right? Because that they're regulating through us, right? There's like a sort of a continuum, right? But a kid is regulating through us. That's exactly right. Yeah, they count on us to to be that kind of holding for that." So
6: I say, oh, JP, you're so angry. Come here. And I reach out for him. He slams his body into me. And I say, oh, you're so, so mad. What happened? And he begins to tell, and this is actually a strategy in the whole brain child called name it to tame it, that actually engages not just the reactive right hemisphere, um, but the the bringing up words and kind of putting things in order from the left helps move his brain into a state of integration is he, he starts telling me about his brother, you know, told his story to the grandparents on the phone and how unfair that was. And so I say, yeah, that would have made me mad too. You know, I I can see why you'd be so angry. And I pause and I breathe. And as I do that within like two minutes, I'm holding him. I'm just listening and validating. He regulates too. It's -hmm. that co-regulation, right? And so then he's calm and then he's ready to learn. So then I can say, okay, um, you really hurt your brother. And I pause and I let him feel that. Right. And then, and then we talk through, what can you do differently next time when you're mad? How can you make things right with your brother? You know, we have this reflective dialogue, which they don't always love, you know, but at the end of that, have I taught? Yes. Have I built skills? Yes. And so I've done discipline. And I actually think that a lot of related to this idea of teaching, this mistake that we make, that we think it's about punishment and consequences instead of about teaching Um, a lot of the things we do in the name of discipline are counterproductive because it makes it less likely kids can learn Mm -hmm. because we're actually doing things that amplify their states of distress we're we're yelling at them. We're, um, we're throwing threats at them. We're doing all of these things in the moment that make them feel like the victim. So then they Mm -hmm. don't take, and there's no attentional resources paid to what role they played in what Mm -hmm. happened. So here's what helps me. Um, The first is to, in my mind, when my child is at their worst, and that often looks like hideous behavior, Mm -hmm. I know based on all the research I've done, um, that that is when they need me the most, Mm -hmm. that when they are out of control, that is extremely stressful for them. So Mm -hmm. in my mind, when I come upon a moment where they are really unpleasant or they're really misbehaving in my mind the first thing i tell myself is my child needs me right now he's having mm-hmm. a hard time so i can immediately kind of connect with my prefrontal capacity for empathy mm-hmm. i'm like oh he needs me this is what i need to show up for my kid right um so if i can do that mentally sometimes i don't have the space of mind to do that right mm-hmm. that that requires a cognitive you know, step. So sometimes we need more, um, that's like a top down strategy where we're using the top of our brains. We're still rational. We're still thinking clearly. Sometimes we need more bottom up kinds of ways where we're using our bodies because our frontal lobe is pissed and reactive, right? It's like not joining what's happening. So a couple of other strategies that have been really, really helpful for a lot of people I've taught them to. the first is, Um, And listeners, as you're listening, you can do this right now, is to put a hand on your chest with just a little bit of pressure, like around your heart, and then put a hand on your belly, just below your belly button, and just to provide a little bit of pressure, and then just take a nice, deep breath. And then you can actually try and experiment. Switch your hands to the opposite direction, and just notice how that feels. Most people have a strong preference for their right hand on top and their left hand on the bottom, but not everyone. So experiment. One of them will feel much more calming than the other. And there's something just really grounding and calming about just having your hand on your chest and belly. Mm -hmm. So when I'm about to yell, if I do that, it sort of gives me, it's almost like I'm putting a pause on my chest, like, hold on hold on. So I'm almost like putting a, a pause on my body before I <laughs> grab an arm or a yell or <laughs> something like that. And the, it also, um, there's some, and there's a lot of theories about why it works, but no one really knows, but it's, it really does help settle our nervous systems, reactivity, our states of arousal. The other thing it does is if you do that enough times when you're angry, and you pause like that, when you put your hands on your chest and belly, your children will see it as a warning sign. <laughs> so it kind of like, is they're like, oh no, she's about to yell. You know, we better rein it in. The third suggestion I have, okay, so the whole like count to 10 and take a breath, that never really worked for me or anyone I ever worked with.
0: Well, I was going to say this hand on the chest thing is so brilliant because you're taking this action to remind you to mm-hmm. breathe. It's not just like a cognitive thought. It's like an action and yeah. that's, uh, I'm, I'm loving it. It's so helpful. Mm
6: -hmm. And if you can make your, and I learned this by studying the nervous system, if your exhale is longer than your inhale, that triggers the parasympathetic branch of your nervous system, which is like turning your volume dial down. So that's another thing actually, and and i'll I'll get to my other really good one in a minute, but that's actually another thing I've done mentally that helps me a ton is when I approach like I see my kid like screaming and yelling or being really obnoxious or hurting someone or whatever it is, I almost imagine like they have a volume button on their on their chest and it's turned all the way up, and that my job is to come in and turn the volume down. Mm. So that helps me approach with like a much more Calmer tone of voice, like all the nonverbal stuff. Like I'm coming in to soothe and turn the volume down, and then I have to make sure my volume is not turned all the way up too. Mm-hmm. So that volume dial is, I guess, a third helpful um, image um, that can kind of you know help us. And I want you to only say two things to your child. The first one is something empathetic, like "Oh, buddy, you're having such a hard time." And number two is. I'm right here with you. And yes, the brain is a neural network. It's an association machine. So when you have an angry look on your face and an angry tone of voice and an angry posture, you're activating neural networks for your fight circuitry. But when you sit below someone's eye level in a relaxed posture and you force yourself to say something empathetic, you are actually activating a totally different neural network. Mm. So you begin, and it might take two or three minutes, but you begin to feel and access that, that empathic, I'm here with you in your hardest time. When your child is at their worst and they're in distress and they're falling apart, do we want them to get the message that when you cannot control it and you fall apart, you get in trouble?
0: And I, or, I can't accept you and I don't even like you and, right. and all that stuff, right? Right. Yeah. When you get your shit together, then I'm interested in
6: being relationship with you. You yeah. go calm down and be nice when you're ready to be like, right. Do we want to get that message? Right. Mm-hmm. Or do we want to say at your absolute worst, I'm here. I've got you. And when you feel overwhelmed and things are falling apart and you're completely out of control, you will have help.
0: Yay! So those are the top five episodes of 2020. You can check them all out wherever you're listening to this episode. And I have a couple of announcements. We're going to be making a podcast archive page on mindfulmamamentor.com. I know we have 257 episodes, right? So there's a bunch of podcast players that don't only hold 100 episodes so you can't even listen to episodes the majority of the episodes we have so you're going to be able to listen to them all at mindfulmamamentor.com you can listen to them all now on mindfulmamamentor.com it's just not super easy yet to find them all so we're making an archive page so that you can find them and they'll all be organized by year so that is coming up and if you would like to suggest a podcast guest we have a way for you to do that you can go to the mindful mama mentor site mindfulmamamentor.com and go to the about page and there is a form for you to suggest a great guest for the mindful mama podcast so i just want to announce those things and of course the raising good humans is on audiobook so go check it out I'm wishing you well. I'm wishing you peace. Ah, next year's gotta be better than 2020. Let's hang in there. I have so many more amazing guests coming up for you. I'm so excited to share all that we have to share for you in 2021. We have even more great stuff for you to continue supporting you to be that, you know, calm, thoughtful parent that you want to be. And, um, and yeah, and if you want to dive deeper, go learn about the Mindful Parenting membership at mindfulparentingcourse.com. And I'm, I'm just so happy to be connected to you. I hope that this work that we do is supporting you and your aspiration to be part of the healing, part of the change, and you know, just helping you create a, some more pockets of calm and peace and, and joy and all of those things in your life. I am so grateful for you, for your listening. I'm so grateful for your support of the podcast, for you know, sending me those screenshots when you listen and supporting the sponsors. It's so important. That's really such a great way to support the podcast, sharing it with friends. All those things are amazing. It makes such a great big difference to helping all this learning get to more people in the world. So that's my mission. So I'm wishing you peace, wishing you well can't wait to be back in your ears in 2021. I feel like 21 is like a lucky number. So it's definitely going to be a better year. Let's just keep our heads up. Let's keep appreciating what we can in the present moment, keeping, keeping that hope alive and that positivity alive. And I will be practicing with you as always. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. See you next year, my friend. Namaste.